You're listening to the Rua Space Podcast. Hello, friends. Welcome to a new episode of the Rua Space Podcast. I'm Phil. And I'm Erin, and we're so glad to have you here with us today where we explore how we can make space for the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. And we are thrilled to be in the midst of our Advent study where we're exploring the life and times of the world that Jesus was born into. So, of course, you know, we know what we know from the gospel stories, but we want to take you further into the history of the politics at the time, the economics, the religious sector. And that's actually what we're going to focus in on today is we want to look at what's going on in the religious world at the life and times of Jesus. Because, of course, in our Bible, there's there's quite a gap of time that we have between the last Old Testament book and the first New Testament book. Now, some denominations of Christians um, have the Apocrypha in there. Or the, no, the Deuterocanon. The, the Deuterocanon. Also, yeah. Okay. So they have those like bonus books in there that give a little bit of other... Uh, <laughs> bonus Bible. <laughs> of, other, of other information <laughs> about what might have led up to the time of Jesus. But... Uh, but otherwise, there's there's kind of this gap. And so, like we talked about last week, we're at a time of history where the people of Israel have been conquered by yet another empire. So you have the Roman Empire is now in charge of all things political, which also impacts your economics and your religion. And so today, looking into how did the Roman Empire impact what's going on for the Jewish people with their religion. Because I would imagine that when you have a group of power come in and say you are going to be Roman citizens, and then you have uh, Caesar Augustus who is using words like we talked about last week of uh, the messiahship, but towards himself as the king of kings and the, um, you know, very much son of God. He's he's this power figure that's going to impact how Jewish people are going to want to live their faith. Sure. Well, and there had been, you know, in that time period you mentioned in that gap of a few hundred years between, you know, the Christian Bible of Malachi and then Matthew, um, a lot happened. There was revolts, there was different kings, there was different empires that came in. And what sort of happened religiously was different parties started to form. Right okay. now, you can trace, almost like denominations of Judaism. Would yeah, that be I mean, a way to yeah, different, think of it. Different ways of seeing things, different ways of interacting with the world, of interacting with this oppressive Roman force. And I really like a, a guy named E.P. Sanders. He wrote this really cool book called Judaism Practice and Belief. Now, it is a super, super thick book. I mean, talking about like, you know. 500 pages or something <laughs> and it's not exactly like reading a novel so but, if you want some light nighttime reading right <laughs> but, but it's really fascinating stuff you know because he talks about how these parties started to form over these times and many of them that we see mentioned in the new testament right like pharisees sadducees Essenes, zealots. These are kind of these major groups. And we see those come up in the Gospels while Jesus is walking around ministering. Exactly. But you know what's fascinating about these groups? The majority of people probably didn't belong to any of them. Really? Right. So. Oh, so, I kind of, I figured it was kind of like, these are the big four. And right. people would be one or the other. So or... it's really interesting. In Practice and Belief, He, you know, E.P. Sanders is talking about... Um, 
about these parties, and he's referring to Josephus, who was a historian from the time, who wrote a lot about what was going on. And he said that, according to what his best sort of reconstruction, he says there were only a few Sadducees, more than 4,000 Essenes, and at the time of Herod, 6,000 Pharisees. Oh, wow. Now, what's fascinating is at this time, estimates of the total population range from a million to like two and a half million people. Okay. So you're talking about like a really small 10 to 20,000 people out of a million who belong to these parties. So would this be the case that the Pharisees, like you said, six, I think you said 6,000 Pharisees, they're estimating at the time that Jesus was born. So would that be because the Pharisees were the leaders? And so then a a lot of people would go to the Pharisees to learn in the synagogues, but they wouldn't be considered a Pharisee just because they went to the synagogue of a Pharisee? Right. Or would it be that... Most of the people had no affiliation or interaction with any of these. Groups. Most people, I, I think, just didn't really have an, an affiliation. Um, now, the the Pharisees could be priests, or they could be kind of what we would call uh, laity, right? Normal people who aren't a part of like the temple structure. Okay. Um, and they came from all over socially. Um, in terms of like economic standing or whatever, but they were kind of the people who interpreted the law and kept it like to a T. And so they were, as you said, kind of the teachers, right? And we see Jesus even saying, do what they teach, but not what they do, right? They sit at the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses, Jesus says, which was where this, the respected seat sort of in the synagogue. I mean, they believed in the resurrection and, you know, they were different depending on who they were because I think they often get a bad rap in the Gospels. Jesus sure calls them out a lot. Right. But the thing is, that doesn't mean that every Pharisee was like that, right? I mean, that's like saying Mm. every Republican or every Democrat is like this. Okay. Not exactly fair. However, it's clear that there were many who sort of operated out of that way. But you also had the leaders of the Sadducees who were more of the uh, aristocratic people. And rather than following like the traditions, like the Pharisees ended up having a lot of traditions and a lot of other sort of texts and teachings that came from like not directly from scripture. Whereas the Sadducees stuck, you know, just to that law and they denied the resurrection and they were actually more okay cooperating with Rome, it seems. And so these are kind of your leaders, but they have different ways of viewing scripture. They have different views of the afterlife. Some of them had different views of how to deal with Rome. So it was very diverse. Okay. Now, just to clarify, when you say believe in the resurrection, Jesus hadn't, my first thought as a modern day Christian is resurrection. Jesus was died, crucified, buried on the third day he rose again. So Obviously, at this time, the people wouldn't have, Jesus hasn't been born yet. So when you say denied the resurrection, what are they believing? Yeah, so it was only the Pharisees who believed that after death would be a resurrection unto life for those who are in the covenant, right? Okay, so we're, we're talking separate from Jesus. Right. The Pharisees are saying, if you, if you are in the covenant that God has made with Abraham... I yeah. assume it's that one, the and, very ancient yeah. covenant. If you're in that covenant, that structure, then when you die, 
you get to have life eternal with God. Yeah, and it's probably okay. even oh, hard. But it's hard, probably hard to even define the whole group again because even look at... But generically even, speaking. Right, because look at like okay. an evangelical today, right? You have some all the way on the one side of like universalist, everyone goes to heaven. And some, you know, only if you pray a certain prayer do you go to heaven. So There's I'm sure there was that same spectrum. Sure. But there was that belief, whereas the Sadducees denied that so by denying the resurrection again just to clarify because my modern christian brain goes they denied jesus and it's like well no wait a second because he that hasn't happened yet so in history you're saying they didn't believe they believed basically once you were dead that was it yeah okay it so sadducees well that's why they were sad you see right? oh <laughs> man I'm just kidding. That was really corny. Sorry, Don't give us one star because of that joke. (laughs) Just kidding. Sorry, I didn't even plan that. That was just authentic. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's awesome. That's why I'm not a comedian. Okay, So, But these are just two of them. These are kind of the two most well-known, right? But there was two others, the Zealots, who were sort of like seen as kind of the terrorists by the Roman Empire. Oh, gosh. Now, what would make them? They were like the violent ones who were like, we've got to fight against this foreign oppressor. We need to kick them out and violence is the way to do it. And so after- To save their faith. Yeah, and I mean, and to save their land and such. And so, you know, ultimately there is a huge revolt after Jesus dies. So Jesus probably dies, you know, around 30-ish or something. You know, again, he was probably born before zero. So it's hard to say that exact year, but he dies around 30-ish, okay? Okay. And then in 70, the Romans sack Jerusalem again and destroy the temple again because there was this revolt. The people finally revolt against Rome and they are just kind of like massacred. They lose okay. yet again. So the zealots would have been the kind of people leading that. And then, okay. a, and then another famous group was known as the Essenes. Now, the Essenes were sort of a, a group who wanted to be separate and so these are the people, for example, at Qumran, where they discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh. This was one. This was one of those locations where they lived. So they like had their own temple and purity laws. You know, one branch was that kind of outside group. And they but, were out in a lot of them out in the wilderness then, right? right? That was a characteristic of them. Yes, for some of them, right? So they were kind of another separate group who believed that, you know the way of Jerusalem had been kind of defiled and such, and we're going to do it a different way. We're going to be kind of separate. And so you have these okay. major parties at the time. So this might be a loaded question, but then what do we suppose Mary and Joseph were? Probably nothing. Well, but we know Mary, like, right? Her first response from the angel of the Lord tells her that she's going to bear the Messiah so is, the, is the Magnificat, right? The song of praise. So obviously she has a faith in God. She has a understanding of Jewish traditions. So is that kind of your typical person? Yeah, they. I just think they wouldn't necessarily belong to one party or another per se. They would have been children of Abraham, but not necessarily specific in one branch. So was there another. like a generic synagogue that you could go to? Where yeah, it's like I, I not suppose. run by the Pharisees, Essenes, Zealots, well, they, but or you could, Sadducees? You could have probably had like a Pharisee potentially teaching there for sure, mm-hmm. but it didn't necessarily make you a Pharisee. And so... Okay, right, because you're just in that Right. And so I setting. feel like for the majority of people, they were just kind of normal. Like many of them, it's very likely would have gone about like, you know, we think of all these purity laws that Leviticus have. And my understanding is it's likely many people would have been ceremonially unclean a lot of the time. 
So we look at these things okay. and we're like, oh, you know, as if it's a sin if that if you did that thing. For a lot of it, it just makes you unclean and you like can't serve in the temple or something. But it seems like it's very possible a lot of people just were unclean. They just like didn't worry about that because they didn't need they weren't going to the temple all that frequently. They weren't doing all that stuff. Okay. And so so, so that I suppose faith just looked different. Well, then, it's about your daily life, right? Than what life, I was expecting right? it would have, right. I, I mean, the Mishnah, for example, talks about there being 39 main classes of work. And again, this is coming um, from Sanders. And he breaks them down into agriculture, textiles, meat, writing, construction. And here comes my favorite. There were two classes dealt with fire, okay? And one really? was general, in parentheses, carrying. So... <laughs> so, so so you had a two out of 39 chance of being a fire uh, class of work, you know, no, no, or, or a carrier is the third one, right? But most people sort of made their living in agriculture. And so okay. I think for the majority of people, their life was survival. Their life mm. was going about their daily work, trying to provide for their family, trying to stay safe, you know loving their kids, trying to make things better for their kids maybe than it was for them, right? Being with their neighbors. And their faith was important, but it was it, it was sort of tied into that. And this is why I think so many of Jesus' teachings focus on agriculture. Because mm, this was the life of the people. Exactly. This is what a million people compared to like 10 or 20,000 were doing. Okay. They were fire starters, textile clothes makers, carriers, writers, construction, agriculture. So the majority of people lived a normal life kind of like okay. today. But that might have been too why I suppose God would have given the festivals to be carried out amidst the regular everyday people, right? Because that's how you're going to keep your faith alive. If you aren't going to the temple, at least you're going to remember the Passover and keep right. it whole, you know, and, and, it, yeah. and the Sabbath day. So they would have done some of, they would have done a lot of those festivals and tenants and remembrances yeah. in that way as a community. But most of their typical day was spent like a normal doing person. Their job. And again, yeah. not to say their faith wasn't important, but yeah, I, I think we sometimes think like people in the ancient world, especially from the Bible, were like in one of these camps, right? But right. I think most people were just normal people. And as I've sort of been reflecting on this, and for well, and for many of them, they were really hard pressed by the taxes of the Roman Empire. Okay. And when you survive on the land, I mean the land was really good and really fertile, but when there's a year that's a drought. You're in trouble, right? Things right. are tough. This is and then tough. You still owe this government work. that's requiring right. So the ordinary person you. is just kind of getting by, and and so as I've been sort of thinking about this, I thought, wow, our world hasn't changed all that much, because what we see a lot in the Gospels, for example, are people being separated, right? Like Pharisees, oh, don't eat with tax collectors and sinners. Don't eat with those people, and we almost start to see these bigger issues of separation. But it seems to be coming from the people with power. Mm. And I don't know if the normal person would have been to that same level. But it feels a little bit like today when normal people are caught up in, well, here's what this politician did or said. Here's what this party did. And I'm going to define myself by that against you, even though really you're not the one in that position, right? Most of us go about our daily life. We pay our bills. We, we do our thing. We're not in the... Senate or the House of mm. Representatives or the president, right? Yet we often define ourselves by that. And 
I think it's a bait and switch. Okay. So I would like to circle back to one thing you said earlier, because you were talking about the separation. And it reminded me of another religious group I heard in the Gospels. And I'm wondering if you can help clarify how these people fit in. But then, if I'm right, you have the Samaritans, who were another religious group at the time. And you've got the Gentiles. And now we know the Gentiles are the people who are not Jewish, right? So if you're not, if you're, you're either Jewish and all these different groups are Jews, just different varieties or takes on it and then you've got your gentiles which are not of the abraham covenant well, right unless right. you became a god fearer so there was people who are god fearers who could sort of enter in in that way and those were gentiles right. who decided they wanted to be jewish right. but even so even though they genetically weren't in right. the jewish bloodline they adopted the jewish faith and tradition right yeah okay so god fears but so then the samaritans I don't know, you, you talking about separation earlier brought them to my yeah. mind. I was like, we hadn't talked about them. Right. So how did they fit into this so picture? back in 586, when the Babylonians came in. B.C. or a- B.C.? B- B.C. Okay. Came in and wiped out the temple, right? So you've got Assyrians had come in in the 700s. The Babylonians came in in the 500s. What these, you know, what would happen is they like destroyed the temple, exiled the people. Okay. But then they would bring in other people into the land. And they didn't exile everybody. So in Israel... Oh, so a, they'd like swap half of the population right. and transplant And often who they would swap population. out were the leaders, the more wealthy people, and they'd lead other people behind. So they're and, probably bringing in someone else's wealthy leaders. Yeah, or, or, or yeah, that part, I'm not sure who they brought into Israel necessarily. But well, what, if they didn't, that seems smart to me. So yeah. they <laughs> well, should have so, done that. <laughs> yeah, that part I'm not sure of. But they left some people behind in Israel, and then they brought new people in after they exiled, right? So read any of the Gosh. prophets, and you hear about okay, this exile. Right. So what happened is these new people who come into Israel bred with the people who are left behind, and they became the Samaritans. Oh. So when Israel... So your Samaritans are your, like interfaith descendants. Right. So they still were, they considered themselves descendants of that covenant, right? Because they only kept, though, the first five books. They had their own temple up in Samaria, right? And I mean, this is the woman when she's in Jesus, like, there's a time coming when you won't worship on that mountain or the other, you know, um, referring to their temple. And the Samaritans and Jews did some crazy things to each other, right? I mean, they hated each other. Right. I mean, kind of the... uh, stereotypical cat and dog relationship right? right like you just see them in jesus's time at least in the gospels they're kind of butting heads right. a lot. i mean there was one time for example where the samaritans put bones in the jerusalem temple and did things that the people didn't you know really like and so they were kind of seen as the outsiders of the faith because they but they had been there the whole time because they the weren't jews pure came back, jews yeah and they didn't hold to all of those same later books and the traditions and all of those things they didn't worship at the jerusalem temple so it formed kind of these two groups. Okay. I met a Samaritan. Oh, did you really? They're still around. Yeah. Okay, so you can still meet someone who... Yeah. Like Shechem and these cities that are still around today, you can meet the Samaritans and they still have their sacrificial area and they, you know, all that stuff. So, wow. so I met a Samaritan. Yeah. How about that? So you, you think sometimes of these people as like not being around anymore. Right. But they're still they're still there. So, so yeah, so that's kind of another group and, and they didn't like each other so this is why in jesus parable the good samaritan it's shocking that the samaritan is a good guy right Right. or the disciples want to you know can we pray to rain you know fire down on the samaritans and jesus like no that's not (laughs) how we do things okay so unlike the pharisees sadducees essenes zealots 
the Samaritans would have accompanied a broader range of the population yeah. because it wasn't that wasn't just a leadership role like the Pharisees were. Right. Uh, it was more of a, a cultural whole, like, identity, and cultural group. Okay, yeah. okay, Very that makes separate. sense. And so I think as we look at this today, I mean, one of the big things Jesus came and did was try to bring everybody together. And I guess that's what I was sort of starting to get at earlier with the bait and switch idea that our world has always been the type of world that wants to divide and Mm. wants to be like, come join our party, come join our group. Yet you look at Jesus disciples and they make up people from different groups, different traditions, different ideas, tax collectors, Pharisees, people from fishermen, fishermen, people from different groups. And Jesus is saying what he is doing is larger than any of those groups. Mm. And for a lot of the people, I often wonder if this is why it connected so much. That who does Jesus have the biggest problems with? Well, the Sadducees, when he goes in and overthrows stuff in the temple, the Pharisees or groups of them that want to kill him, right? Yet, who are the ones who sort of connect? The average person who Jesus comes and says, this is the kingdom, you're welcome in it as you. It's not about having all of those right answers or necessarily even doing all the right things, but simply entering into this relationship that everyone, even the Gentiles, are now welcomed into. Mm. And I and as I look in our world today, we still like to go to the division. Yeah. And if you're not on my side, you're against it. And I think even even amongst Christians, right? right. You see that with denominations. Well, I'm a such and such. You're yeah. a such and such. You're not the right kind of Christian. Yeah. If you don't agree with me on these doctrines, then you're out. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, how many that's... times have we seen people type like, farewell, whoever, you know, or goodbye, because you wrote a book or said something they didn't agree with, and now you're out of the faith, right? And yeah. I just don't see Jesus doing that kind of thing. And and it's not to say that anything can just go. Right. Right? Because we well, do Jesus have certain definitely standards. Had standards. Right. right. We see that modeled by him. But he sure. did it with such inclusiveness, such love, such openness, and such a focus on the things that mattered the most that those other things kind of worked themselves out. They worked themselves through. And so as I think of Advent, as I think of the situation Jesus came into, Jesus was a person who brought people together across lines. Mm. And this is what Paul is all about. He broke down that barrier between Jew and Gentile, right? He's in his disciples bringing together different people from different groups, from different economic standing, from everywhere, and saying, in me, we're going to do this thing together. Mm. And so as we look at these groups, I guess that would be my one encouragement of how can we follow in those footsteps and say, there's something greater going on here than whatever definitions, boxes, labels that I want to use, there's something bigger, yeah. right? That's beautiful. Well, I think on that on that note, we will come back next week with our final Advent study where we paint a picture, and we're going to go more into. I think I'm guessing. We will surprise you next time, but I'm guessing more into the economics and maybe a little bit more of the lifestyle stuff because that's fascinating so we will hopefully see you back then but in the meantime i pray that in the this upcoming week of the advent season that you would be able to look with hope towards the coming of your lord and savior jesus christ because the truth is that he came to bring us the ultimate peace and he is the hope for the change that we all strive for and long for in our hearts 
So grace and peace.